Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you for joining us because I know you've got so many more important things to do right now, like perhaps discussing Jeremy Corbyn's hat. In the studio with me, it's Stuart Robson, and down the line from his conservatory in lovely Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. You are in the conservatory right now, not the kitchen, right, Ollie? No, you got it wrong. I am in the kitchen. Is it a bit too cold for the conservatory right now? Uh, that is very perceptive, yes. Later on, we'll be debating another managerial movement in the Premier League as Sparky checks back in at Southampton. But first, we start with the FA Cup quarterfinals and we start where all the headlines have been made in the last week and that's at Old Trafford. Okay, Manchester United beat Brighton 2-0. They're through to the um, FA Cup semi-finals where... Uh, they face a trip to Wembley to take on uh, Tottenham Hotspur. But United fans, it's not that we're talking about Manchester United because of Oli Kay's anti-United agenda. It's because this is a really big story. This is a really popular football club with a really famous manager, perhaps the most famous manager in the world, saying in the past week uh, a bunch of extraordinary things. Now, for those who haven't paid attention... I will try to summarize. Ollie, please correct me if I've missed something out. So it begins with the defeat against Seville. After that game, Mourinho talks about, I'm paraphrasing here, all right, so United lost at home in the Champions League. It's not the first time it's happened. In fact, I beat United here when I was managing Porto and when I was managing Real Madrid. Then it moves on and he he talks about, what's this nonsense about heritage, you know, you want to talk heritage, Louis van Gaal and David Moyes, that's your heritage, finishing fifth and seventh and, and sixth, although sixth place was under him, which seems kind of odd. But anyway, you basically haven't been good uh, since Fergie left. He talked about how it was silly to compare him to Pep because when Pep took over, Pep had all these great players like Kevin De Bruyne and Vincent Company and David Silva and Sergio Aguero, whereas he basically had a bunch of turds. And then he says... But when I leave, I will leave great players behind, like Matic, who's fine. Matic is 30, so presumably he's going to leave soon, whatever. Uh, Lukaku and David De Gea, who wasn't actually down to him, but was signed uh, a, a few years ago. Then he goes on and he talks about Seville. And I will throw this question to you when he talks about how many Seville players would get into his United team because Seville are a team with great European tradition because they won all those Europa Leagues, which funny enough, the Europa League is what United won last season, incidentally. He just said so much stuff. I'm, I'm struggling with this. Oh, yes. And then after the game, he talks about how he didn't like the game. He basically talked about how bad Valencia and Luke Shaw were and how had it been up to him, he would have substituted them both, but he couldn't do that because then he wouldn't have had enough substitutions left. So he only took off Shaw, and Shaw is terrible, and no no class, no spirit, no fight, blah, blah, blah. Only Matic is good. Matic is like an island. Then he talks about McTominay. McTominay is terrible, keeps giving the ball away, but at least he's one of those guys, even when he plays badly, he still contributes. And there's no spirit, and his attacking players hide, and his defenders take 50 touches to get the ball forward quickly. Is that about a fair summary, Ollie? Uh, it is uh, it's a very accurate summary. Did I miss well, anything out? Uh, no. Well, well there, was, there was a bit um, on Friday about how um, 
how the club and and Edward Wood and Richard Arnold, you know, on the board are are, um, are completely at one with him uh, over this. And um, there was, uh, yeah, it, oh, yeah, it's all that kind of thing. It's, okay, it, I mean, there's just so much to unpack. But I want to mention that thing there that, that, that you talked about with Woodward and Arnold, mm. right? Because I think there's an obvious contrast here when you talk about all the draws that you think you've inherited and all these bad players at Manchester United, but then you're at one with Ed Woodward and Dick Arnold. Didn't Woodward sign all these guys, all these bad players that you don't like? And, it, and it's an interesting the, contrast there, right? Because Conte might have complained about the bad players he has, which were signed by the club and that he inherited, whereas this guy goes and says, all right, these guys are bad, and but... Woodward's great, right? Does that make sense yeah. to you? Uh, only in a sort of self-serving, self-preservation type type of way. But but you know he, he's he's criticising their their transfer policy, their recruitment policy over the past few years, and I would agree with him on that. But he's also, I mean, he, he's basically suggesting you know that that, that Matic and um, Lukaku are you know standalone uh, along with De Gea as as sort of beacons of um, of quality, personality, character in, in this squad. And he's signed an awful lot more players than that. Pogba, £90 million, pounds and, and there have been a few good performances, but mostly, I'd, I'd say he's mostly been very disappointing, not just the past month. Sanchez, nobody seems to be able to work out what Sanchez is really doing there, apart from the fact that they were able to sign him um, from under Man City's noses. He's apparently got very frustrated by the by United's defence, you know, the fullbacks, the central defenders. You haven't bought a fullback. I hear all this stuff about about how Man City have spent such an awful lot of money on fullbacks, but these fullbacks that he keeps berating, he's gone into two different seasons with them as his fullbacks. And left back seems to have been a problem for United ever since ever left. And he's and he's and he's gone with Ashley Young and he's gone with Blint and Rocco. These Shaw. are all these are all excuses. The thing oh, exactly. at the moment, Mourinho has lost. Uh, he's out of touch with modern football, in my view. He can't be, uh, find a creative system to play. He can't get the best out of his attacking players. Uh, what made him successful many many years ago at Chelsea and and uh, uh, Real Madrid and Porto? Football's moved on, and he can't. If he's got all these players, he and he's saying that they can't do this, and he can't, they can't do that, and he's had them for two years, and he's been there for two years. He should be improving them. He should be working on the training field. And when he can't get things right on the training field, he then tries to manage through the press, and that's what he's doing now. So he's trying to manage the club through the press. He's trying to manage the players through the press, and all he's doing is trying to protect himself. I want to chuck in Mourinho's defence um, that. Eric Bay was a pretty good signing, and maybe if he'd not gotten injured, things might not that they'd be competing for the title, but maybe it might have been a, 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 a little bit better this year. You might even make the same point for Ibrahimovic. Hmm. Stuart, you watch a lot of European football. Let's say Edward Ward decides to buy Seville tomorrow, merges the teams. Since there's many Seville players who would get into the United lineup, which ones? Not very many. No, no, no are there any? No, I don't think there are. You know, Manchester United have got a better squad of players. I, I, I put this far. out to Twitter, and people said, "People said like, oh, Nzonzi." I'm like, yeah, but what are you going to do? Drop Matic for Nzonzi, or are you just going to have like two big lampposts in front of the back four? People said Benega, who has got to be the most inconsistent player. I mean, you you think Pogba's inconsistent? Not one of the, I mean, the severe players would get into Manchester United's team if you watch them week in, week out. Mourinho at the moment is having a poor time on on the coaching field. He can't get the best out of his players, and now he's saying that the players oh, yeah. aren't good enough. In my view, his coach and his management at the moment isn't good enough. Ollie, we're speaking like this after United victory, and one thing that that strikes me as as a long time Mourinho watcher is that he's always put results first, right? Because let's face it, a lot of people out there will lap up whatever he says, right? Mm-hmm. So he could have come back and said. Yes, we were very disappointed, you know, to, to get knocked out of the Champions League. But look, my guy showed character because, you know, it was a tough blow for us. But look, we had more than Brighton. Game was never in doubt. We won 2-0. You know, we're going to continue, finish second in the league. We really want to win this competition. And isn't Lukaku great? And what a great, look, look what a great ball Matic put in. If he had gone out and said that, we in the media would have been reporting that, Right. We we, we yeah. wouldn't we wouldn't be going on. Hey, seriously, if you come out hand on heart, Ali, 
If he'd gone out and said that, would you have written a piece the next day about how terrible Luke Shaw is? No, no. It's, um, I mean, All right, so explain the logic here. What, why is he being counterintuitive and, and different than the past when he's generally always stuck up for his players? Well, he stuck up for players on on Wednesday night when it was a when it was a you know a, a very disappointing, inhibited performance in defeat. I think he knew he was going to be getting a lot of flack for that, and and he decided to you know try to change the narrative and and you know defended the team, putting it into into the context of United's recent and, and indeed historical um, struggles in the Champions League. This time, I don't know. It, it, said, it seemed like he was just. Angry and just wanted to wanted to just humiliate certain players, and it's as if you know the players who he gave a chance the other day, whether it's um, Martial or or, or um, Shaw, one or two others, he was just determined to say how awful they are. And I think he's now basically trying to get things in place for next season. He knows they're not going to win the Premier League; they're out of Europe. I think he's trying to frame it as you know look what i'm having to deal with look look what i'm having to get results with this this incredibly expensive squad which is um which to most people's minds is not getting the most out of uh, i don't think there are many players who he could, he could say he's getting the most out of uh, you know a handful certainly but but an awful lot falling short but he's determined to paint it differently because he wants this huge overhaul in the summer and get rid of the the players that he's he's um, struggled with this season, and and, and it's, it he, seems to be all about that um, but, as much as sort of creating a, me- a media narrative. I think he's not talking to Ed Woodward, right? His job is not in peril because Ed Woodward presumably ultimately looks at the bottom line, and United are hugely profitable, and you know, let's face it, they're they're not going to drop out of the top four uh, mm-hmm. domestically. They may yet win the FA Cup. Uh, so it's not as if he needs to justify this to, to keep his job. All he's doing is depressing the value of his players by making it seem as if they're all terrible, which then makes it makes it tougher to shift them in the summer. And you know, and I know United are a very wealthy club, but you know they they don't have unlimited funds. Nobody has unlimited funds. I I don't understand the logic. I didn't see too many players that were given a rollicking and came back better for it. Um, Maybe after a game one to one, but never in the press or never in front of the fans or to, to the public. What I can see happening here with Mourinho is that he's going into training every day. He's going into the dressing room and he now knows he can't influence the players. That's what's happening. He can't influence on the training ground. He can't get the best out of them. So he's going. He's going. Gone out all guns blazing. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a stand here. I'm gonna say these players aren't good enough because he now wants them out because he can't work with them. And I've seen it as, as a, from a coaching point of view when you think. I'm doing everything I can to try and get the best out of these players. It's not working. I now need to either leave myself or get these players out. And that's what's happening with Mourinho. Ollie, I have a friend who's a massive Mourinho loyalist, and he says that where United are going to improve under Mourinho, um, and, and, and really the problem, isn't so much the attacking side of the game. It's that United's attacking players are very good, but they need support from the midfield. And the reason the midfield can't be more supportive is that the back four is an absolute freak show. The players just simply aren't good enough and they don't follow Mourinho's instructions and blah, blah, blah. And so he needs to he needs to basically deputize the midfield to go and cover for the back four. And so as a result, the attacking players are left on their own and because they're not people who create their own shots, apart from Alexis sometimes, but then Alexis has been bad, there's nothing you can do, and it's not Mourinho's fault. Do you buy that explanation? Is there some merit to it? I think that there's a small amount of merit in it. In that he isn't he isn't happy with it with the defence with the fullbacks and central defenders. Um, but he's bought he's bought two of those central defenders, um, Lindelof and uh, and Bailly, and I think he's happy with Bailly. Um He's got an extremely good goalkeeper who I think has bailed it, them out more times than anybody would care to mention. Um, but he, I mean, the, the sort of Dalton Bracey thing in, in midfield, that, you know, even, even when it's been Pogba and Matic, it's very often been, uh, you know, a quite conservative way of playing. And, and they, they, they so often attack with four players, not with six, not with seven, not with eight, like Man City do and like Liverpool do. And you know, Mourinho would never want to attack with seven or eight players. He would see that as a naive technique and he would look at the... The, the occasions when Liverpool, example, have, have been picked off from the counter attack and say, "Well, look, that's that's the the naivety of of, of 
the way they play. We, you know, look at our defensive record. That doesn't happen to us. It's just so conservative. It's just so risk-free. There's there's so little creativity. And I think if you look at the way Guardiola rebuilt at City, and yes, of course, he spent a lot of money, but he has got company and Otamendi looking more comfortable on the ball than they've ever done in, in their lives. He's got a goalkeeper who who regards his first job to, as being to distribute the ball well. He's got fullbacks who are very good going forward, who, who are all about what they do on the ball. It's not it's not about being in the right position. Midfield, Fernandinho, Fernandinho is a much more technically accomplished player than Matic, in my, in my view. But that's the way Guardiola wants to play. So that the contrast isn't just about the quality of players. It's about the way... Guardiola encourages them to play in a way Mourinho discourages them to, from playing and, and wants this sort of risk-free football. And you saw that in particular on um, Tuesday night against Sevilla. It was, that, it was this sort of witless, guileless, brainless football at times where they were just knocking the ball forward, hoping that If the two managers change their clubs... You'd see Manchester United play creative football, but probably not yep. be that good defensively. And you see Man City be more methodical. One quick point, we, we, we touched upon him, but United spent a king's ransom on Luke Shaw. And I remember at the time, the United briefed, no, no, look, this is actually really clever because you prorate it or you, you amortize it over the duration of his career and he'll be our left back for the next 15 years. And he's had a horrendous injury. He's had people criticizing him over his weight, which, I don't know, he doesn't look like a big fat guy to me, frankly. I, you well, what, you, what you have to remember first, he came, to, he came to Manchester United with Louis van Gaal, and Louis van Gaal didn't fancy him early on, didn't play him early on. I, but, but I just wonder, is, I mean, is, is, it, is it his injury? Is that why? What's gone wrong here? Because I mean, Paul Hurst reporting um, that, you know, he's going to leave the club in the summer that he's had enough and, and he wants to leave the club and it feels bullied and, and whatever else. My view of, of Luke Shaw, uh, from what I've seen at Manchester United, and it was before the injury as well, his game understanding, his concentration levels, his defensive qualities were definitely in question. There was there, He did some horrendous things positionally that... It looked to me as though Southampton have taken a lot of credit for developing players. It didn't look as though he'd been developed as a defender at Southampton. He'd done a lot of work going forward, great athleticism, getting crosses into the box. That's why people saw him as a, as a fantastic player. But as a left-back, you also have to have a good understanding of the defensive side of the game. But that's where Mourinho, if he thinks that, that uh, Shaw is, hasn't got good possession, positional sense, that's where he has to work on him day in, day out. He has worked on him because otherwise he wouldn't have been starting him. He has other left-backs in the team, right? I know we're all pretending Daly Blinn's injured and disappeared, yeah. but, you know, he, he has Darmian, he has Young, I guess Young can't play every game, but, I mean, there are other people who can who can play that position, right? But, but obviously, what Mourinho's done is said, those two those players, Darmian, I'm not going to play him again, I'm not going to play Blint. this is what I'm going to go with, and now he can't bring them back because he's, he's made that stand on them. That's the thing he's done wrong. He's 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 alienated certain players, and, and, and the, the words that have been used are bullying, there's a difference between being demanding of players and bullying players. And the way he, he deals with Luke Shaw looks like bullying almost. Hey, Ali, just from a media perspective, I'm going to ask you to speak for all media. I, I do kind of get the sense that this guy's been the brunt of more abuse and rumors and stuff like that. And not that people have written, you know, he's a bad person, but it seems like everything just kind of went wrong after his injury. Well, do you have any insight in that? I know, I know that he... he felt after the after the injury that it was it was taking a long time to um to get back to form and it, he felt that that last season he needed a he needed a run of games and in the team and obviously that's a that's a difficult thing when you you know when you for a player to expect to to have the opportunity to sort of build up their confidence and build up their fitness when they might not be up to scratch in terms of performance well, you know it's it's sort of that chicken and egg thing really but it's so maybe with hindsight the better thing for for all concerned, would have been if, if he'd gone on loan then and, and maybe come back with a season of first team football under his belt and, and more confidence again. But he seems to be a, a player who needs an arm around his shoulder, as so many of these young players now do need it. I mean, they, they don't respond to the kind of um, public criticism, they don't respond well to, to criticism on the training ground. And Mourinho seems to have gone, has always seemed to favour that. that sort of stick-over-carrot approach with young players, and it doesn't really seem to 
to work. I mean, he's, he's 22. He's got he's he's been a Premier League player for a long time, but he's clearly somebody who does need to be indulged and built back up again. And, and Mourinho seems to, I, don't know, I mean, I don't believe this is the case, but he, he almost seems at times to take pleasure in knocking him down, knocking, knocking his confidence down. And um, it's, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, I, I have heard that word bullying used in, in, in relation to Mourinho and Shaw quite a few times over the last few weeks from, from people who work around United. And, you know, people say it's not going down well with, with other members of the squad, but Mourinho, talks to him and treats him like that. And you think, well, yeah, it's not working. It's not made him a better player. I know he's, uh, Mourinho said the other day, well, this is, as regards to criticism in general, he says, well, what have I got to lose with these players? Which suggested that he thinks that he's getting you know, nothing out of some of them at the moment. So he might as well just go public with them. But it's, it just seems to me to be um, an approach that you could have tried I don't know, 20 years ago with players, 15 years ago with players, and you'd often have the sort of strong, tough characters that would deal with it. But this generation of players and, and this generation at Manchester United doesn't seem to be full of, of strong characters that, that will react to that. Right now, this season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, uh, you not only get um, what I think is uh, some excellent content, you can also watch every single highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup. And you can do so legally without breaking the law. Uh, It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, Stuart, what was your favourite goal of the weekend in the Premier League or the FA Cup? Uh, I liked uh, the Ch- Chelsea's goal, Morata's goal in the FA Cup, because I think the player that's been so good for Chelsea recently has been Willian, and he made that goal out of nothing. It was a brilliant little run from him, timing of the pass, good run from Morata. It was three versus one, so they weren't, Leicester weren't caught out on the counter-attack because they didn't have numbers back. They had three defenders against one attacker. The attacker made the right run. The ball was played at the right time. Good goal. The way he opened up his body, that was straight yeah. from the cherry on re. It was. Per- and you could see that lovely little spin on the ball. He didn't put a load of spinner, but just enough. Ollie, your pick? I couldn't really choose between two or three of Mo Salah's, so I've gone for a different one entirely. Um, Christian Eriksen's first for Spurs against Swansea, and it wasn't just the fact that it was a beautiful curling shot into the far corner, which was magnificently in line with the the TV cameras to, to make it look even better. It was the fact that that was... His, in theory, weaker foot, his left foot. Um, you do have to double-check sometimes to think, is he really right-footed? Is he, is, is he left-footed? I mean, he's, the guy's two-footed, but he always seems to take um, free kicks and, and corners with his right foot, which suggests that that is his preferred foot. But I, I would not be exaggerating if I said that Christian Eriksen's weaker foot is, is better than an awful lot of Premier League players' stronger foot. Now, Chelsea overcome Leicester City 2-1 away in extra time. They're your, um, they're your other one of your other semi-finalists. Stuart, you mentioned Morata's goal there. He hadn't actually scored in a long time. He hadn't played in a long time. He hadn't started in a long time. Was this just a physical thing, and was it some kind of issue with the manager? What, what, what's no, I, I couldn't blame... Uh, the manager, Antonio Conte, for not playing Morata because I think Morata's been very poor in the games that I've seen him. When you play for Antonio Conte as the centre-forward, so much goes through the centre-forward. When the ball goes into Willian and Hazard, they're looking to flick balls around the corner to play off off the centre-forward. And Morata hasn't been good enough at holding the play up. I think he's got a technical problem. When he's trying to hold the play up, he ends up going 5, 10, 15 yards backwards before he plays the ball off. The very best strikers with their back to goal, almost back into defenders, let the ball come to them. And the next pass is almost forward or, or at least square. Morata has to go all the way back because he takes too many touches to get it under control. He's fighting off defenders when he should actually be fighting them off before the ball comes. So I, I can fully see why Antonio Conte hasn't played him. But then Giroud played so poorly against Barcelona in midweek, he had to play in this game. It was a great goal from him. And I thought for he had a 20, 25-minute spell where he looked a top-class player, which I know he is from his time at Juventus. Oli, I enjoyed Leicester's performance because it kind of felt like nothing's going to happen to them in the league. They're obviously not going to go down. They likely won't qualify for the for the Europa League via the league. Um, and so this was a game where they could actually be open and have nothing to lose. Like I kind of feel like Claude Puel felt that way too with 
playing Yanacho in there, who I don't think was particularly good. Jamie Vardy missing that wide-open header. I know they did well to battle back, but do you think they go away a little disappointed from this? Yeah, they will. I think I think they'll feel that that it was it was there for them. You know, a place in the semi-finals was there for them. Um, I thought, particularly the the second half, I thought they looked like the more dangerous team. And when they equalised, um, which was what seventy-six minutes, it felt like the, the the momentum was with them. And and if anyone was going to win it at that stage, it, it was going to be um, uh, less. I thought Okazaki's introduction improved them. A lot in, instead of um, you know, I thought Mark Albright was was excellent, um, but it, it, it was a, it was an even game, and I, I would I would say that Leicester will will feel that they could have won it in 90 minutes. They could have been the team that edged it in extra time. Even you know, was that scramble at, right at the end, they could have forced it to, to penalties, but it, it just didn't seem to go for them. And, and I think Chelsea deserves some credit for that because they've been criticised a lot. Lately, and and uh, you know their, their record hasn't been good, but but I thought they showed a resilience um, yesterday that, that that has been lacking uh, certainly at times over recent months. Can you help me understand this? Because I feel like Chelsea in both legs against Barcelona and both against United, especially, but also against City, which is obviously a tougher proposition. And again, here they're trying to do what the manager wants them to do. You know, it's not one of those, uh, you know, sort of lost the, the, the dressing room situations, I think, at all. And yet, at the same time, and this in some ways ties back to Mourinho, you know, I, you've had Conte complaining about the squad and the signings and coming out. I think he said, am I right thing he said on Friday that, well, you know, some of these players were in the team that finished 10th in the Premier League the year before he came. Can you explain that dynamic, how he manages to put them down on one hand, but then they respond on the pitch? I suppose he still has, he still has their respect. I think they're, they're a, a committed bunch. I think they're probably stronger characters in a lot of cases than, than the, the players we were talking about at Manchester United earlier, even though they had that awful start to the season under Mourinho um, a couple of years ago. But I, you know, I, I think generally that is a squad full of strong characters. There is a sort of winning ethos in that squad, and I think despite what he says publicly, I, I think I think he is he, he, still a manager who gets his, his message across to them in, in a forceful and yet um, successful way. I think it's been more surprising in those, you know, for example, those couple of games against Bournemouth on, and Watford back in I think it was February when they when they really looked awful. It was very surprising to see a Conte team play that insipidly, and, and even though um, they didn't get the results against Barcelona, I, I thought the performances in both legs were those of a group of players that were still playing to their manager and still believed in him. And, and um, I think um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yeah, Stuart, I just want to ask you about that. It's been suggested to me that the sense among some of the Chelsea players, anyway, is that okay, look. Conte is saying all this stuff because if he goes to the end of the season or when he goes to the end of the season, he'll want an alibi. He'll want the narrative to be, oh, look, he did what he could, but, you know, cheapo Mr. Abramovich wouldn't invest in the team and what could he do? But Conte doesn't necessarily believe that and so we should still, so we shouldn't let it affect us and we should still continue following his instructions because it works and it's our best possible chance to go and win something this year. Are you buying that? Is that dynamic? Did you, did, when you were a player, did you pay attention to what the manager said in public? Well, when I played, the manager wasn't the most important person around. There weren't lots of press conferences afterwards and everybody analysed what he said. They usually interviewed one or two of the players. So it wasn't, the, the manager didn't have full say to the press. It was He was mainly doing all the work on the training field. I still look at Chelsea and look at one or two of the players and think, are they really still carrying out the manager's instructions? Like who? Uh, I would say Hazard. I think Hazard goes and plays where he wants to, and he's often frustrated Antonio Conte. If you watch Antonio Conte on the side, he gets frustrated with Hazard when he loses possession and then throws his arms up and like sits on the ground for a little for for a ten seconds when he should be chasing back. I think I think Hazard is a problem for him because he knows he's their best player, uh, although he's, Willian's been their best player in recent weeks. There's lots of things that I think uh, the players are still playing for Antonio Conte but one or two I think just do their own thing and Hazard being one of them they say he's a free spirit and he, you can't really um, motivate him he'll play when he wants to play well that's a problem for a manager that, that demands and demands and demands like Conte does 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. Mauricio Pellegrino is no longer Southampton manager, and they've replaced him with another tall, imposing figure. Um, Sparky, Mark Hughes. Ollie, the, the fundamental narrative here at Southampton was that Southampton fans and Southampton officials are thick and stupid because they had Claude Puel there. Uh, he got them to a really good place on the table, and they didn't like him, and so they replaced, Pellegrino, they replaced him with Pellegrino, who was you know, sort of like Lurch uh, from the Adams family, and they nearly get relegated, and now Sparky's going to come in and fix it. At least this is what my one Southampton supporting friend says. I, I think there's probably a bit more to it than that, and there's maybe perhaps more valid reasons by why Puel left. But what do you make of that narrative, and will they be just fine under under Sparky? I think they are two different questions. So I'll, I'll, I'll take the first one first. Um, yes, I, I would say if you look at if you look at Southampton and and, and they they came up from the from from the championship. You know they they'd come an awful long way in in a very short space of time. They were doing everything right as a club. You know all the decisions they made. Behind the scenes, seem to seem to work. Even when they replaced the popular manager Atkins with um, with a uh, <laughs> comparative unknown in in um, in this country, uh, Pochettino, it went spectacularly well. When Pochettino left, they put a coup, and that went really well. But against all of that, there was the sort of annual exodus of, of players, not not just to Liverpool, but but, but but it often seemed that way. All of their best players were getting cherry picked by the big clubs and. It was always going to be hard to kind of keep outsmarting the market, if it, you know. If you know what I mean, you know, it was always going to be hard to keep doing that and and maintain a sense of progress. And I think what's happened is that they've become, they've gone from being a good mid-table team to a, a poor mid-table team that is now in this slightly crazy um, Premier League that we've got this season is now a team that's being sucked into into relegation. I think a lot of the positivity, a lot of the excitement around Southampton has has, has gone away. Feel good factor has gone away, and it's just been replaced really by a sort of sense of apathy and drift. And I'm, I'm not just talking about the fans; I'm talking about the the, the um, you know the players as well. And they haven't bought as well the last couple of seasons. I think that is why they find themselves where they are. And I thought, you know, Puel was a good manager who did a, an all right job. I wouldn't go crazy about what, what he did there, although they should have won the League Cup. But I think taking over Southampton last season was a lot harder than going in when Koeman went in, when everything was was positive. And I think going in this season, which uh, Pellegrino did, I, I think he would probably have uh, felt that it was a club that was kind of, I don't know, a dressing room that, that was a bit stale. And it certainly looked that way. And Hughes, who is not this type of manager, um, I wrote a column on him in Saturday's paper, Hughes is a manager who has always gone in 
taken a while to get going and then delivered steady improvement, um, whether for six months uh, or a few months at QPR or for um, you know, three or four seasons at Blackburn and, and Stoke. I think Hughes is a decent manager, good Premier League manager, but I've never thought that he would be the ideal man for a sort of firefighting job. So it's... Um, it's spark plug, basically. Um, Stuart, but I look at this and or maybe it's just me, but they have really good players. I mean, I, Mario Lemina, I think, is very good. Romeo's very good. Redmond, inconsistent, but he's a skillful player. Ward Prowse, you all seem to yeah. really, really like. Tadic yeah. can beat people at the back, who is what he is, but he's a big physical presence. And Stevens looked good, certainly last year. Um, Ryan Bertrand still plays for England, by the way. And I would assume may well be starting during the international yeah. break. I mean, isn't it fair to look at this group of people and say, all right, so Gabbiadini stopped scoring and Shane Long is Shane Long and we brought this guy Carrillo in who's up and down, but that's really the only problem, right? I mean... Yeah, only the, the front area is the, is the problem at the moment. I, I would say Southampton, as you quite already said, have got some very good players. I don't think they're worse players now than they were uh, a couple of years ago when Koeman was... a top 10 squad. I think it's a top 10 squad. Uh, Pellegrino obviously didn't do a particularly good job in terms of motivating the players or getting them to play the right system. The crowd didn't like Puel because they said the football wasn't as entertaining as it was under Koeman and as it was under Pochettino. They didn't press the ball quite as high up the field. They were used to high-tempo football. I, for the life of me, cannot see why Southampton would appoint Mark Hughes. Ollie said he's a, a, a good manager and improves teams. I don't think he does. Who's I don't think he... for Southampton? He played that. Then is that the reason to get a manager in? <laughs> I mean, that that seems to be the case. People say he did a good job at Stoke. Uh, he tried to change their style of foot. I couldn't always see that. He made them less defensively secure than Pulis had them. In my view, right. uh, when I watch Mark Hughes' sides, I can't see an identity. Uh, I don't like his manner on and off the field. I, I, I just don't think he's the manager that I would appoint. He would never go anywhere near a club that I was a chairman of, so I, I don't understand. <laughs> you make him feel like he's your least favourite person. Yeah. I, no, I, no, would I, you I, rather have Hughes or Wenger? No, just kidding. You don't need to answer that. <laughs> oh. All right. From one squad with talented players uh, to another. The England squad's been announced for their uh, uh, for their friendlies during the international break uh, against Italy and against uh, Holland, two teams who won't be going to the World Cup. Stuart, he's played a back three several times, which I thought was odd because I didn't think that England had a, a tremendous amount of depth at, at centre-back. I mean, just looking at the people he's called up in, in this squad, you know, Stones and, and Maguire, I think, are, are more than competent. In, in, Maguire's in the best of them. Okay. Um but then you have Tarkowski, who I think it's his first call-up. You have Joe Gomez, who's been injured in and out and but playing played very right well back. Again, played very well in, in the last international against Germany, I think it was, Gomez. And you have Alfie Mawson. Those are your five centre-backs. Is, is he going to persist in this? Because if he figures, if I play an extra central defender, then I've got one less problem in central midfield. Is that the thinking? Or? You have back three for, for one or two reasons. To have extra cover at the back when balls are coming into the box. Uh, and you can almost be a back five, so you've got more defensive cover. Or it's so that you can play out from the back with a little bit more ease. Uh, and you want you could, Tarkowski playing out from the back? Well, that's the question that you're asking. So I'm looking, I don't think Stones, for all the people say he's a good composed footballer, I don't think he is. Maguire is excellent at playing out from the back. Because when you play out from the back, you want to drive into midfield and then you're passing balls into the front, as we were talking about earlier. Stones doesn't do that. He he tries to keep possession. He'll try and go back to the goalkeeper. He'll try and be clever at times. But he doesn't actually make forward runs and play balls into the into the front players. I'm not sure Mawson can do that from, from Swansea. So it's a it's a, a bit of a mix about what and how Southgate's going to play. But particularly well, give with us a clue, though, if he plays a back three, yeah, that this is the scheme for the World Cup. We haven't got that long to go to the World Cup. No. This is this is a, These next few games is the ideal opportunity to play the side that you want to play, to set up the formation, get some understanding of what you're trying to do. So it shouldn't be a, a case of experimenting. This should be what England are going to be doing come the World Cup. So the reason he's going back three, one of them, I don't, I don't think Ollie, is that so there isn't much depth in central midfield. Eric Dyer, fine. Um, but then Jesse Lingard's position kind of to be defined, and he's not really one who's going to play in a two. There's Lewis Cook, who I believe this may be his first cap or, or thereabouts. Jordan Henderson, who's in and out at club level. 
Alex Oxley Chamberlain and Adam Lalana. Again, those aren't two guys you, you who can play in a two. Uh, if you play three at the back, Jack Wilshire, who's got a, a raft of of other issues, and also again, probably not somebody you want playing in a two. And Jake Livermore, you can, who's you can play three when you're playing three at the back. You can play three central midfield players, and then you play two up front. And you play Kane and Vardy in a two. Um, yeah, or, that excite you? Or you could play with Kane and Rashford. Or you could. Or why not just play Kane and Ali Kane. then? Oh, you can play Kane, Kane and Ali. Yeah, you can play Kane and Ali. Ali is a second centre forward alongside Harry Kane. Are you concerned by these midfielders? If you, yes, so, so you say like, all right, then I play three midfielders. Okay, fine. Then I've got one more central midfielder out of a not great bunch. Well, Dyer, yeah. I would imagine, would be the holding midfield player. And if he plays two others in there, Oxley chamberlain seems to be one of his favourites. He mm-hmm. would play in there. And it would be between, I would imagine, Lingard, Wilshire and Livermore as the other one. Fun. I think the, the lack of creativity up front, the lack of penetration up front, and the fact that they've got their first two games of the World Cup are against Tunisia and Panama means that it will be more like the... Chelsea sort of three four two one. I don't think it would be like a three five two or three five one one. I think they will ultimately go with with um, with two sort of holders in midfield, which I know will, will not um, excite people um, if it's Henderson and Dyer or something like that. And I, th- I think that's probably the most likely combination. Um, but it will mean that they can get more attacking players. Further forward, and so I Sterling think and probably be. Sterling and Ali think, off of Harry I would Kane. Think Sterling, st- at this stage, Sterling and Ali off Harry Kane would be the most likely. Obviously, Kane is injured for these matches, and it would probably be Vardy or Rashford playing up front, or, or, or one starts one and one starts the other. But um, I think if it's going to be that sort of two-man central midfield, that sort of, sort of twin pillars in central midfield, I think Henderson Dyer is the most likely combination, and. Yes, not the one that would excite a lot of people, but I think Henderson's form for Liverpool has actually been pretty decent this season when he's played. I mean, the, the fact that he's been in and out of the team is probably a reflection on others' form rather than rather than his. I think I think he's actually been all right as as is Dyer. Ollie, you've I think I'm right in saying this will be your fifth World Cup. No, fourth, fourth. No, you weren't in Japan. I wasn't in Japan. Okay, but you obviously paid some attention to the World Cup in 2002. In fact, I know, because you said this once, that as a child, you used to go and, uh, and, and, and draw up sort of World Cup previews and almanacs, which only you would read. Is that right? Uh, only I would read until until I get the bravery to um, publish them on Twitter in, in, in the lead-up to this World Cup. They're fantastic. I, I do still have them, along with... Um, you know, I don't keep the work I do now, but I've certainly kept that stuff. It's funny. I know I, I did exactly the same thing, and I still have all that stuff and work I do now. Kind of comes and goes. But I'm just curious, how does this bunch compare to? And I know just probably a question we're going to ask again many times between now and Russia. But compared to 2014, 2010, 2006, in terms um, of talent and balance and potential, how does this group compare? I thought the 2006 squad was, you know. They had a group of 13 or 14 really good players who was playing at the top level in the Champions League while winning trophies with their with their clubs. That team should have, I'm not saying they should have won something, but they should have gone to that World Cup and to the previous Euros and been competitive and, and not sort of scraped their way to quarterfinals and then and then lost on Portugal. They, they should have been a, a good England team. What they didn't have really was that I mean, there was a, a big drop in quality from... Um, the starting eleven to the to the bench, you know, they've had people like Theo Walcott and Aaron Lennon, who were very, very young and very, very inexperienced, were on the bench uh, for, for, for that World Cup. But 2010, it was pretty much the same group of players, but they were all, believe it or not, four years older. It was a very old squad. The initial Capello effect had, had worn off by then. He, he was never convinced by the squad options once people. Um, lost form in the tournament. 2014, I'd say, you know, you still had Gerard and Lampard and Rooney, but those guys were all on the way down and the younger players weren't at the required level and, and that showed. And I think this time it's completely different in that it's similar to the Euros, really, but it's a, a young, very unproven group of players where you would probably not have any concerns at all about turning to any of them with 
30 minutes to go saying, right, go on, this is your moment, on you go. But what I'm saying is that there's squad depth. I don't think there's there's enormous great talent. Well, there's talent, but I don't think there's a, I don't think there's the nucleus of a team yet. Uh, and I felt that going to the last two tournaments, there's not the nucleus of a a team that you know a system um, partnerships all over the pitch. We're talking about you know a, a back three. I think Southgate was talking about the other day of Stones, Gomez, and Maguire. Now all three good prospects, but I think Gomez has made two caps, both friendlies. Maguire, three caps, which is two friendlies plus Lithuania, I think it was. Stones, 22 caps, but is not playing for Man City at the moment. And it's so, I don't know, it just all seems so flimsy. And you've got the same same questions at, at wing, you know, wing back. I'm fine with Kyle Walker, but left back was being cited as this position of great strength um, for England a few, you know, a year or so ago because there was Rose, there was Baines, Gibbs, Shaw, uh, you know, a, a number of options, you know, Cresswell. Um, but, you know, that's, that, there's not a top-class left-back amongst, amongst that lot, is there? I mean, but no, Danny you're Rose... Absolutely right. uh, when, you're, when you're talking about the squad being flimsy and to win the World Cup, you've got to have... I would say four or five world-class players. You know, top mm. top of the game. There aren't those players. Levering. Yeah. Harry Kane would be the best player. Yeah, yeah. Sterling. Sterling. Uh, uh, Dele on a good day. Yeah, but you're, you're talking about on a good day. And Maguire. Maguire is your god, but then, but right? Then, but He's then, your hero. Yeah. No, so. he's good at playing out from the back. I would say that he's still got defensive problems, as Maratta showed yesterday when he went past him a couple of times. I, I'm just I'm just a fan of my, my, my Maguire. It, you don't often see somebody that size with that kind of athleticism who's also good on the ball. Uh, he just has a great understanding of how to come out. He's been taught well wherever he wherever he learnt his football about how to Where come out with the ball. Where did he learn his football? Well, I think Sheffield United. I think he learnt his his game. But Sheffield United had a great cup run when he was playing there when he was a, a an eighteen year old, and he came out with the ball brilliantly in those games in that cup run. Everybody talked about him. What a what a talent he's going to be. And then he went. Uh, he got bought by Hull, was it? And then uh, mm. sort of drifted away for a little while. I think he had one or two problems off the field. Uh, but he's come back to the fore again, and, and he's proven to everybody what a good footballer he is. I believe Kyle Walker, as I'm reliably mm-hmm. told by uh, our producer Charlie Jones, um, also yes. started his career at Sheffield United. And he, he was a very, very pacey right back, which uh, has obviously gone on to be a, a good pacey right back for England. In the Premier League, because yes, there was also some Premier League football this weekend, Mohamed Salah banged in four goals as Liverpool beat up on Watford 5-0. Stuart, you watch a lot of Serie A. Can you tell me why he has now scored one goal fewer in less than a season uh, than he did in two full seasons at Roma? Uh, because he's playing for a team and a manager that allows him to go and do what he wants to. He, he played very well for Roma, he played well for Fiorentina, but he also had some defensive duties and he had to get back into certain positions. Uh, and he was it's, also a large Bosnian man in front of him yeah. when he played for uh, yeah. when he played so, for Roma. But I think the, 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 the setup is great for him at Liverpool now because Firmino, there's the main centre forward, comes deeper and it allows Salah to make the forward run. So I think it's his positional play more than anything else that's allowed him to score the amount of goals he's scoring at the moment. Player of the year, Salah or De Bruyne? Uh, De Bruyne. Spurs overcome Swansea in the FA Cup as Christian Eriksen pulls some serious strings for a side devoid of both Dele Alli and Harry Kane. Ollie. Is Ericsson in your Premier League top 10 players? And if not, why not? And name 10 players in the Premier League who are better than Ericsson. Um, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid he is. So that, 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 rather, kills, um, that rather kills the second part. It's, um, you know, well, Harry Kane presumably Ericsson. is too, right? Uh, yes. And Dele yes, Alli? Uh, no, probably not. Oh, um, just Kane. Uh, the Kane, entire Manchester City starting 11. So, I mean, I don't know. How do the numbers add up? No, well, I, I'll tell you what. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Um, if you're doing your top ten Premier League players, you, you you probably wouldn't have a couple of fullbacks in there, would you? And you probably wouldn't have a couple of central defenders. Uh, and you'd probably have. Uh, so you're forward biased, are you? Are you clearly, well, I, I, I think yeah. I think anybody who was naming the top ten players in the Premier League, I think, would would probably name more forwards than defenders. I think that's that's the reality. Of it. Everton went away at Stoke, and Sam Allardyce's frown is now upside down. Schenk Tosin bags two goals, and he has now has four goals in five starts for Everton. Stuart, was he the missing piece of Big Sam's 10,000-piece puzzle? 
Uh, he is, wasn't he? In some ways, he was because that Can we was. Give a, some love and credit to Big Sam. No, no, never give love and credit to Big Sam. But the sender forward, uh, he's, when you look at his record, uh, when he was playing for Besiktas and one, another Turkish side, which I can't pronounce. Before that, his goal record is good. He scored, uh, I think, one in three for the Turkish national team as well. He's a sender forward that can hold up the play. He's a sender forward that can score goals. And with all those players that can play in and around behind him, like Sigurdsson, who's probably one of the best number tens in in world football, in my view. I think uh, Tosun is a, a great signing for them. Ooh, is Sigurdsson better than Eriksson too? Uh, 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 close. Uh, close. Oh, close. There you go. Oh. Now, on a serious note, the way things stand now, there is pressure on English politicians and officials not to go to the World Cup, given the tension between the United Kingdom and Russia following the poisoning case of an alleged, I don't even know if he was alleged, or real spy in, in Salisbury. This is obviously a serious matter. There's political implications. We love to mix politics and sport, don't we? Uh, Gareth Southgate says that he's not just going to go, but he's going to take his whole family. Ali, what are your thoughts? Basically twofold. Does it matter if politicians and officials go to the World Cup, including the guy who I believe is the president or chairman? No, he's like, he's, isn't he like the nominal head of the Football Association, William? Um, presumably he couldn't go if, or he wouldn't go if, if, if there was this, this political boycott. Does this matter? Does it affect the players? Should there be a boycott on the pitch? Rather than listen to me on on, on this issue, I would advise um, Matthew Syed's piece, which I've just pulled up in front of me. He says, this is gesture politics at its worst. Where were the tough actions when dirty money was flowing into our banks and prime property market after the Boris Yeltsin privatisation? So keen was the government to sustain torrents of cash from oligarchs and corrupt officials that no questions were asked and anonymity was protected. And that is absolutely spot on. And there would be a case for for saying, oh, let's pull out of it, but it would be so ridiculous in terms of gesture politics, in terms of um, using football as a as a means of diplomacy or anti-diplomacy, it would be ridiculous. So football and indeed sports supporters should ignore the hollow threat that is being made and they shouldn't make much of this absence of dignitaries because, um, frankly, who wants them there anyway? And the full Matthew Syed column addressing this issue that uh, Ollie was reading from is on the website. Now, Crystal Palace have a grand total of zero points this season without Wilfried Zaha and the team. And as I discovered, they haven't actually won a game since September 2016, when the world was a very different place uh, without him. So, Stuart, why is he so important to the side as he showed in Palace's 2 0 win at Huddersfield? When you're a very average team and you've got a good structure, which I think Crystal Palace have both of those two things, uh, you need somebody that's going to make things happen for you, create something out of nothing. And at the moment, Wilfred Zahar has done that for, for a couple of years now. Doesn't he gets the team. do that too? Isn't that kind of his job? Yeah, but he does it very well. He's, he's got good pace. Zaha he can does go it a lot better than Townsend. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he does it a lot better than Townsend. And I think he's got the he's the crowd favourite. He's the players' favourite. He gets them free kicks high up the field, so it gives them a chance of scoring goals. And when you're a struggling team, you need a player like that because you need to win games. And Sahar is the is the match winner for them. Time to check in on the former Crystal Palace uh, manager Alan Pardew. Yep, West Brom suffered heartbreak, throwing away a one 0 lead against Bournemouth and losing two one. Ollie, it's now eight defeats in a row. Any clearer theories on why he's still there? I think because they've given up on, on trying to avoid relegation, and, and, and I think that if, um, I, I think they're just treading water, waiting for the summer to come so that they can um, work out what, what they do at that point. And um, Pardew himself has said that he expected to be sacked, and, and the fact that he hasn't I think, tells you that the. The club is drifting under an owner who doesn't really understand the game. He, you know, he, he, after the Pardew appointment, he, he sacked the chief executive and the chairman, which which was uh, a particular way of saying things didn't go right. And there's such a lack of expertise left that I don't think they would know where to start in looking for a, for another manager. So I think that Pardew survives by default, which is pretty uh, depressing probably for him as well just for anyone else but but they did they did get come very close to getting a uh, a result even a win the other day so i'm I'm guessing that there was some measure of improvement in the performance ollie if you were offered the job of chief executive at west brom would you consider it um are are you offering no i'm I'm assuming you're probably more educated than the guy they had before i dare say you probably know more about football than the owner it's not that far from Rippenden. Would you consider it? 
I, I think I think my nine-month-old daughter knows more about football than some owners. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot. You don't have to say you would take it. Would um, you consider it? No, no, no. It? I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I am. Uh, unless anyone's got a really good offer. Never say never. Come and get me. I'd consider it if the uh, if the money and the terms were right. Would you, Stuart? <laughs> Absolutely. But everything about you is about money, isn't it, Gabs? Right. Anyway, but no, here's one for you, Gabs. Here's one for you. I know Salah scored four goals at the weekend. Everybody knows he scored four goals at the weekend. Surely he's the only one in Europe to have done so this weekend. Is that right? No, he's not, actually, oh. Stuart. I would have expected you to know because, um, in fact, a guy named Cristiano Ronaldo scored four goals as Real Madrid beat Girona 6-3. It's funny, with, with Real Madrid really not competing for the title, Champions League is all they care about, they just kind of let loose in La Liga and happily give up three goals, two of them really stupidly. Um, but then... He scores four at the other end. He has, I think it's something like 21 goals in his last 11 games, something stupid like that. He's on the way, though, isn't he? It's clearly, clearly. <laughs> he's actually now has more goals than Messi this season, although Messi's hit the woodwork 16 times this year uh, and only has the 33 goals. Somebody else did it, too. Your mate, Mauro Icardi, another oh, yes. former La Masia guy uh, for, for Inter Milan. Um, he hadn't scored in Yonks also because he'd, well, he'd been injured as well. Inter weirdly won five nil. It had been like four months before since they, they scored more than uh, two goals in the game. But bizarrely, they're they're now up to fourth place. They have a game in reprieve hand. Reprieve for Spalletti. Uh, reprieve for Spalletti, yeah, and uh, uh, reprieve for financial fair play. Welcome to the Sweeper, which is the Times' fantasy football tip service. I'm Charlie Scott, and I'm joined by Paddy Bombay. Hello there. The uh, dreaded game week thirty one. Mo Salah saved everyone. It turned out to be quite an easy one after all. Yeah, 29 points for Salah. And I, I mean, everyone should be captaining Salah at this point in the season, particularly when the likes of Aguero and Kane are out. So 58 points if you captain Salah. And that's just a good game week in itself. Well, on top of that, you might have had Cenk Toshin. Oh. He seems to be in absolutely roaring form for Everton after that very slow start. I can't believe that. I saw him at Wembley against Tottenham and he was atrocious. <laughs> and he did nothing for five or six games. But now he's in good form isn't it who else caught your eye then James Tompkins I mean Palace I thought away from that Liverpool Watford game I thought the other six teams playing would all concede but that meant Huddersfield scoring which they don't do uh, Palace won 2-0 Tompkins picked up 15 points for them which is astonishing 4.4 million the centre back who else have we got Andy Robertson yeah Andy Robertson he was more Virgil van Dijk was the popular choice wasn't he at the back for Liverpool but Robertson's attacking threat makes him something else Look a bit further ahead, Paddy has some news about fixtures further down the line. Yeah, we've just had confirmed the uh, the blank fixtures in game week 35 arising from the FA Cup semi-final clashes. So um, hopefully everyone a few weeks ago read our battle plan for the run-in and how to use your chips. Uh, we'll be having an updated one on the Times Sport website this week. Now we have a bit more information. Um, but well, basically in short, there are six teams that you're going to want to focus on. They are Brighton, Chelsea, Leicester, Man United, Southampton and Spurs. They're all blanking in game week 35 as well as having two double game weeks, uh, most likely in 34 and 37. So there's going to be a lot of plotting uh, to come and a lot of deep thought about the fixture list. But as long as you can get that right, uh, you're going to be laughing come the end of the season. Absolutely. And a lot of people use their free hit this weekend in game week 31. But if, if they haven't, would you say game week 35, perfect time to use it? Absolutely. That's when it's pencil in for me. Congratulations to Nick Edwards, who won our February competition. He has won a year's digital subscription to The Times. We'll have the next teaser question up in a couple of weeks, so keep an eye out for that. You can sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football to get our free email every week. And you can join the Facebook group. Just search for The Sweeper on Facebook and ask us for some advice and we'll get right back to you. Right, that's all we got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guests, Ollie Kay from beautiful downtown Rippenden. And by the way, on days that Ollie's home, like Mondays when he does the podcast, feel free to drop by and, and say hello. He loves it when, when strangers uh, ring his doorbell. For just eight pounds, you can have an eight-week trial of our newspaper, The Times. And you don't just get us, you get those people at the Sunday Times as well, some of whom are very, very good. Now, we're going to be back next week uh, after the International Friends including England against the Netherlands. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 